This is Key the Mic, a podcast on the leading edge of fire service innovation. I'm your host, Inanna Hinky. Join me as we unpack today's emerging issues and the minds and tools at work to solve them. Yes, we're the fire department. Yes, we are important. And yes, we provide the best service in the city, but we're not in there by ourselves. Today, we are joined by Chief Rhoda May Kerr. Chief Kerr currently serves as the fire chief of City of Fort Lauderdale Fire Rescue and also served for 10 years as the chief of City of Austin, Texas, which is one of the nation's largest fire departments, and for five years as the chief in Little Rock, Arkansas. Additionally, in 2015, Chief Kerr became the first female president of the International Association of Fire Chiefs. What an honor. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm actually the one that's on it, so thank you. So you're a fourth-generation firefighter, but you didn't start out in the fire service. Before joining, you were a high school physical ed teacher for 12 years. What caused you to change course? (laughs) So uh, a couple of things, really. One being that um, I was bored with teaching, and, um, and I was looking for a career that had that was dynamic, that had upward mobility, that was challenging. And I met someone that was in the fire service and I got the bug and I went, I can do this. And now here we are almost 38 years later, (laughs) which I find absolutely so difficult to believe that it's been that long. So you got the bug. Tell me about training and preparing to become a firefighter when you had been doing something else for so long. What was that process like for you? So I think in some ways it wasn't as difficult to transition for me as it may have been for others, but um, I taught physical education and I coached a number of different sports. Plus I've always been a jock and I've played a lot of sports. So, you know, the physical aspect of it, I don't think was as difficult. My decision was that if I was going to do this, I was going to do it. And I was being one of a few women, right. In, in the fire service at all, in the country, I was going to be sure that I excelled in every aspect and wasn't the last person to finish the run or, you know, the last person to to be able to grasp an idea or a a task. So, I mean, I worked really hard at like finishing at the top of my class and making sure that I represented the women of the world well. Sounds like you were very determined And you've said that diversification of skills is also critical for advancement in the fire service, that aspiring fire service leaders need to have a broad field of experience in order to move up. So what are some different kinds of opportunities that you accepted in your work in the fire service that have informed your leadership? So anytime an opportunity came along to do something, I always said yes. And even though, like everybody else, you know, you want to stay in operations because that's the most fun, right? But if you really want to be a fire chief, then you have got to experience every aspect of the fire service that there is. And that includes things like the logistics, it includes training, it includes prevention, it includes things like the administrative services of an organization. It includes all the support services of the organization. You have to be willing to, to move and to experience everything, take every opportunity that you absolutely can so that when it's your turn to be at the top, you have that broad range of experience. And then you can rely upon that experience to help you make things better. And you can rely upon that experience uh, to help you make the right informed decisions. Was there anything 
surprising that came along as far as these opportunities that presented themselves? Like, oh, I never thought that I would be doing this. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that maybe were surprising. Um, You know, I just maybe logistics and support services and specking out fire apparatus and making sure that the fleet is still running all the time and, uh, you know, maintenance of old facilities and, you know, even um, trying to make sure that our facilities were gender neutral or as general neutral as they could be considering that they were built, you know, many years before women were even considered to be in the fire service. So I think those challenges and, and at least having the opportunity to make a difference or to make it better. No leader makes the journey alone. Who were your greatest mentors and what did they teach you? I was thinking about that a little earlier today. And, you know, there were, weren't any women really that were up there that could be your mentors, but I had a lot of the men um, that were my mentors. So one of those was uh, the former fire chief here in Fort Lauderdale, Otis Latin. He was the person that encouraged me and taught me how important it was to have that diversification and that you needed that experience and gave me opportunities to move around in the organization and, and to get that experience that I need. And when I ended up in Austin, I got the chance to work with him again because he was then there in Austin as the director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. And he finished his career there in Austin. So it was nice for me to, to be there at the end of his career. And, you know, and he, we enjoyed getting the opportunity to work together again. And I had a couple other people, uh, one of those being Ernie Mitchell, former IAFC president, former U.S. fire administrator, fire chief in a couple different cities in California. He was always such a calming influence, you know, and that was a time when, as women, we were probably, they were trying to beat us down and not let us in, you know, that the door wasn't open. (laughs) So I always think of him as helping me in my success. And then I think the other person is Keith Bryant, who uh, preceded me as the Metro Chief President, preceded me as the IFC President. And, you know, through that time, we became really close and good friends. He's such a great example. He's another one that's pretty calm and, you know, low-key, low, pay, low key, and I am not that way at all. So it was good to have somebody like that as an influence and set the bar for me to follow. And so, I, you know, those three uh, men were really influential in my career and even in my life. We're all really good friends. So it's nice to have that. That's wonderful. It's great to have folks who are willing to share their knowledge with you and then also to have the story with the first mentor you're the original chief of Fort Lauderdale 15 years before having that come full circle and you to eventually take that same place that's really interesting and he was so proud that I got this position and that I get to like you said close the circle because I started my career here and now I get to finish it here so yeah I'm not going anywhere else (laughs) (laughs) His next step is retirement, real retirement. (laughs) I'd say you've earned it. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) So as a chief, you've stated that your number one priority is and will always be keeping your personnel safe. How do you translate that philosophy into action on the job? So there's several ways. Um, and, And I think that it's not only keeping them safe, but taking the very best care I can of them. And my number two priority is always providing the best service we can to the community. So if I don't do number one, I can't do number two. But 
part of that number one is not only making sure that we provide the very best equipment, especially as CBAs and things that our life depends upon and, you know, our PPE and fire apparatus and making sure that where fleet is kept on the street and safe and that we're taking care of it and we're replacing it, all those things count. Fire stations and making them gender neutral and making sure that they serve the firefighters well. But it also includes accountability and responsibility and holding people accountable and responsible. And that's only fair to everybody else in the organization. So if somebody isn't doing the right thing and they aren't following the rules and regulations, let's say, or the policies, then I hold people accountable for that. You know, And I have in uh, previous departments when people are violators, uh, you know, egregious violators of important policies, I have dismissed them. And I have had many firefighters come to me and say, thank you, because it's been going on forever. And I'm glad that you finally did something about it. So I think that's one of the important parts of how do I keep them safe? Because they work together as teams. And when they don't have trust and they don't have faith and they don't believe in that, that person, like they should, and they don't know what to expect sometimes from that person, it's not fair to everybody else. Safety goes beyond the physical. It certainly can be emotional or mental as well. So I I appreciate that you take that into consideration when you think safety for your personnel. It's very important, you know, and even more so these days, you know, in an environment that's infested with COVID, right? And and how do we keep our firefighters safe? So it's it's research, it's development, it's making sure that we're staying on top of every little thing that we can, you know, to keep them safe. Tell us about some of your proudest accomplishments in the departments that you've served. I think overall, the easiest way to answer that question is that I have made it a better place. And I, when I've left, I've left it better than I found it in um, both Austin and in Little Rock. In both those organizations, we were able to get a safer grant and improve the staffing in the organizations. Uh, in Little Rock, I was able to replace eight or ten fire trucks. They were riding in open cab apparatus, riding backwards, you know, no air conditioning. And so we were able to get them in safer, more secure apparatus in Austin, we stood up a wildland urban interface division in two years that ended up being one of the most respected divisions in the country. We were not prepared for the wildland urban interface when I got there. And shortly after we had a small fire, then afterwards we had several large fires, but um, we fixed it. You know, so I'm pretty proud of that. And in fact, I saw a tweet from them the other day that a task force of of Austin firefighters had gone out to California to help. So, you know, it's that it's at that point where they're being tasked to help others. And then I think here, I mean, I still have things to do and I have a lot to do, but the technology and some of the improvements I've been able to make in the technology and what comes into the organization and our new RMS system and uh, using things like Power DMS, which is a document management system and that helps with accountability and, and responsibility on documents that are put out to the whole department. And it's also uh, searchable by word. So somebody's looking for something, they can go on and look something up. And I'm still working on lots of things and not just technology, but fire stations 
needing to be built and had a bond project and trying to bring that bond project to conclusion. Uh, it's always challenging. So one of the things, even though it seems like a, a small thing that just has given the department like uh, some pride is I was able to wrap one of our fire trucks pink. It is uh, in honor of all those that have won the battle and those that have lost the battle. And, you know, when I had it done, uh, it was, I had no money. So I was telling a friend of mine, I said, I don't have any money, but now I want a pink fire truck. And she says, I do that. That's my business. So her company uh, designed it and wrapped the truck all on there, you know, as a gratis, as a, as a donation to the department. And then I, after I did it, I go, oh my gosh, you know, it's a reserve truck. So it's all over the city. And I wondered if maybe the, you know, firefighters, the men were going to go, oh, pink fire truck, really? You know, that's what we get when we have a woman chief. But they all really love it. They go, everybody's beeping at us, waving at us, wanting us to stop so they can take pictures, you know, just a, a good morale booster. And it's just, and it's fun. It seems like you're very proactive when it comes to making sure that your departments are prepared and are operating well. Do you have a similar view of your role as a leader and a role model for your department? I absolutely do. I think um, as the leader and as the top of the department, I have to be the shining example. You know, I'm the one that they take their cues from. And I'm very fortunate that I am an upbeat, happy person. I wake up like this in the morning. I'm high energy. And so maybe I was destined to be a fire chief, you know. (laughs) So you have to be the shining example. I think it's important that I'm uh, in shape and that I work out and that they see me that way. I show up on fire scenes and not to take command, but just, just to let them know that I'm there and I support them. If you expect everybody to obey and be great examples of the fire service, then you too have to be that, you know. And I, and I always say that um, I expect 110% from all my firefighters. Well, I try to give that same 110%. This is a two-part question. How did serving as the president of the IAFC differ from what you do as a fire chief? And if you could share something that you learned from your presidency with chiefs across the country today, what would it be? It's a much broader market, if you will. If you are the fire chief of a single municipality or of a county or a district, that's, that's, that's your world. But when you're the president of the IAFC, it's an international world and it's many different types of departments. You know, there's volunteer and there's combination and there's career and there's small ones and there's great big Metro ones. And, and so how do you run a board and how do you run an organization that you, that you try to keep in mind that the needs and the wants are different for every single department that you're trying to represent? what is a great opportunity too, and a great learning opportunity and you gave me uh, such great perspective in some ways nothing's different no matter where you are in the world when it comes to the fire service you know firefighters are truly the same caring dedicated committed people no matter where and no matter what equipment they have or what they don't have i mean i can remember being in guam and saipan and we went by a fire station that the building itself was just a concrete, small concrete block building. 
and this the engine room wasn't even an engine room it was just like a metal uh covering right and the the dirt was a dirt floor ground floor you know so but yet those firefighters love what they do they love being firefighters and and it, you could see the pride you know in that so you know we all love being firefighters and it was just so nice to see it in so many different places sometimes you were somewhere where maybe you didn't speak the language but you could still have that communication and it was really it was really a wonderful opportunity and i think the one thing that that i liked was being the first woman president and a lot of these departments and cities and organizations that i did get to interact with weren't used to seeing a woman in charge they had no women in their department maybe or you know so i think it was a great example for them and in some cases when i was in saipan they uh, took us out for a picnic that they uh, put together on this beautiful little island just off the you know off the island of saipan itself it was their families and their wives and it was just so much fun to be you know be with them and they were cooking and playing music and doing all those things but i still think it's a great example for their kids and their spouses and their girlfriends to see a woman in charge you know it's to be get that opportunity to be that example it really is remarkable that you've been the first female fire chief in more than one department as well as the first female president of the IAFC in its 147 year history and today as we've touched on women still make up a pretty small percentage of firefighters in the US why do we need more women firefighters? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, you know, diversity in all of its forms is really important to the success of an organization, whether it's a fire department, whether it's a Fortune 500 company, no matter where it is and what it is, it's important that we represent the people that we serve or the, in our case, the people that we serve, but in the case of a for-profit business, for the people that are their customers, Right. So it's the same for us and our customers and our bottom line for us is our citizens and what they think of us and the support that we need from them, especially when times are tough. You know, I think there are a lot of departments, mine included, that are going through some tough times now. COVID had a huge impact on many economies. You know, we're a tourist destination. We had like nine cruise ships two or three times a week coming in and out of the port, bringing all kinds of revenue to the economy, right? Well, that there are no cruise ships right now. And there haven't been for like, you know, nine months. So that impacts the revenue. And so when during tough times, you need the support of your community that says, no, we're not closing a fire station or we're not downsizing our fires, you know, firefighters. But they only do that because, you have proven to them that you represent them and you are there for them. And I get lots of compliments on our firefighters all the time about the service that they provide and how kind they were and, you know, how empathetic they were. And I think that a lot of that has to do with they're a bunch of different people forming a great team. Women bring um, certain softness to the fire service and um, they much better at multitasking. And I think they're better, a lot of times, much better at listening and hearing and, and finding resolution and not, uh, not being part of the conflict. It's really important that we have that. And it's important that our community and the, the people that we serve see us and 
know that we're part of an organization that cares about their city. It's interesting. The qualities that society asks women to emulate can be so helpful in situations where someone's life is in danger, where you need to figure out what's happening in a very short period of time. After rising through the ranks to one of the most elevated positions possible, what do you see as the primary obstacles preventing women from being more involved in the fire service today? I think there's several, and some of it is is that they don't feel like they're included and they're outcasts, you know, and in some cases that's very true. I've heard stories, horror stories about women safety being compromised just because they weren't part of the team or they weren't included and had nothing to do with their capability. It all had to do with just their gender. If you really want women to feel included, then you need to make sure that your policies and procedures recognize that there are two different genders in the workforce. If you don't have separate bathrooms, then at least have locks on the doors and make it mandatory that the doors get locked. So you're not walking in on somebody or they're not walking in on you. I can remember Many years ago, when I was here as a a firefighter, they were building a new station, and there were only three of us, I think, on the job at the time, three women, and we asked them to make sure that they put women's bathrooms and men's bathrooms, and they didn't, you know, so that was just a great, doesn't that tell you that, well, we really don't want you, but you know, we're we're stuck with you, but we're not going to do anything to make you feel welcome, so, and I think those things still occur, and not as much as they did you know, previously, but I think those things still occur. And then I think women struggle with how to have a family and how to have children. You know, how do I carry a child for nine months? And how do I get the time off to have that child? And then how do I have the time off to, you know, to bond with my baby? That's a huge portion too. So we have to find ways to accommodate the women. And I'm always upset when one of our women in any organization they've worked in, not just here, anywhere, where they stay in operations for too long of a period of time, I really want them to come onto a staff assignment where they are not subjecting their unborn child to possible harm. And, you know, I've read too many studies that show that early exposure can affect the the birth of the child, early exposure to harmful IDLH environments, can impact breast milk. I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know, that can be impacted. So I really wish that we can find a way to allow women to come to staff. And most of the time they don't, because if they accumulate time as an operations person, they have more time. But if they accumulating time only as a staff person, then they don't have as much time off, right? So I understand it, but I think I shudder every time I know that they're out there and it's not safe for them and it's not safe for everybody else either because we know that the rest of the crew is is going to protect that person that's the woman that's pregnant. I think that, you know, those are a couple things that are a hindrance maybe to getting more women into the fire service and then they're not seeing what they can be, you know, so it's really up to all of us to make sure that we're not afraid to stand up and stand out and and make sure that there are lots of women that are around that, you know what, you can be this, you can do this. You touched upon creating inclusion in fire service uh, departments and agencies. I'm wondering if you see 
sort of an obvious next step or way forward for the needs of women and diverse populations to be met in the fire service environment. Um, do you have any suggestions for departments for creating more inclusion uh, in their organizations? I do. And I think some of the things that I just talked about are, are ways that we can do that and is to make sure that your policies and your procedures recognize that there are different types of people in the workforce. And it's not just women that don't want to be in a big shower room and a big locker room. There might be some men that are just not comfortable in that environment, right? And by creating bathrooms like that are like little residential bathrooms, it doesn't matter what your workforce is on any given day, somebody can have the privacy that maybe they want. And then uh, uniforms, I mean, I can, you know, tell you even to this day, not all uniforms fit women. I see more women in like dress blues. I see more women in dress blues trying to wear a man's jacket and it, it looks, it looks terrible on them, but yet they still, they deal with it. Right. You know, just making sure. And then I think in your recruitment is that you have to show that your department wants those people there. If you're trying to recruit people of color, you don't just send all your people of color out to recruit. You send a broad mix of that shows the diversity of your organization out to recruit people of color because they go, oh, I look like that person. But then they also can go, oh, I don't look like that person, but they're here trying to recruit me. And I think once you recruit people and you, you get them recruited, it's important to have constant contact. So I'm working on hiring a new cadet class and we're going to do a mentor program. And from the time the person is on the list, you know, we'll recruit them. And then once the person is on the list, we're going to assign somebody to that person. So they'll be calling them and saying, Hey, you know, we're not, you know, we're not hiring yet, but you know, maybe you'd like to come out and do a ride along, or maybe you'd like to drill with us, you know, and, and then once that they are hired, is like they constantly are in touch with that person to make sure they're doing okay and that they're successful. So in other words, instead of creating an environment where you have to meet this goal, and that's important, but we are building success to meet that goal, we are helping them be successful, as opposed to well, we went over this drill, I don't know how many times, and a person still didn't get it, and it was a critical skill. And at the end of the day, you know, or at the end of cadet class, school, they don't pass. And that shouldn't be. We should, we should build success. So that's one way, too, I think you can improve your diversity and your inclusion is help everybody be successful. One perspective that we've heard in our interviews is that firefighters who don't identify as white or male can sometimes feel uncomfortable being recognized or singled out for their achievements, and that they would rather advance through the ranks without any special attention just alongside their fellow crew members. What are your thoughts about this? I understand it because with that recognition comes sometimes exclusion. People go, yeah, they just got that, you know, because they're so-and-so, they're a woman, or they just got that because, you know, they're black, or, you know, some other comment. And, um, you know, it's not any different than what I do every day. But it is a little different. You succeeded in a world where you haven't been for 100 years. And I think that I understand it, but I think if more 
people are comfortable and celebrate those successes, then the less it becomes a big deal. You know, it's no longer, oh my God, they're the first woman. You know, I mean, I can't wait for someday. And I said this, and I'm very happy that now with the IAFC, there is a woman in the executive ranks and she will be the president in a couple of years. But I said this before, I'm honored that I got to be the first, but I do not want to be the last. So if we don't celebrate those successes and we don't challenge our people to accept that, then it's not, it's not going to get better. You know, it only gets better when we recognize it and we, other people see it and can say, oh, wow, you know, I could do that. I think it's really important that we celebrate that and, and recognize that. I saw something when Kamala Harris was elected and it said, uh, make sure you're wearing shoes because of the shattering glass, right? You know, I like to think that, uh, I always say I love the sound of shattering glass. You know? <laughs> So kind of the same thing, but I mean, I I hope that other women will accept that responsibility that as being one of a few, there's certain responsibilities that go with that. And that is, you know, it is making sure others follow and that others can see what you do. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? There's several things. One is um, building relationships and make sure you build good relationships everywhere you can and anywhere you can, and not necessarily just within the fire service. Because there comes a time, and and I can give great examples right here in in the city of of Fort Lauderdale. You know, we have a great relationship with our public works department and our parks and rec department. And when we were going through the early stages of COVID and we did not have sufficient uh, masks, you know, N95 masks, and we were doing everything you could to make them last longer, but, you know, still making sure that the firefighters were protected. Between our uh, public works department, the engineers uh, created a, a sanitizing box that would um, sanitize the masks and extended their, their wear time. And then the Parks and Rec department built them for us. And then we put them in every station. So we were able to extend the life of the masks when we, we weren't able to get sufficient quantities, right? So without those relationships, those things wouldn't happen. We had torrential 100-year rains here, like 18 inches in 48 hours. And the ground was already saturated. I think we had had 11 days of heavy rain. And it was king tide, so... Streets were flooding, and the fire department happens to have these high-water clearance vehicles for specifically for that or to get into difficult areas, right? So we were able to help other departments with getting their people where they needed to go, and they knew we had them and, you know, leaned on us, and that was just great. That's what we wanted to do. So I think relationships are extremely important, and you need to have them before you need them. So don't wait until the disaster strikes and then, oh, gee, I need to know who, who's my FBI agent or who's the police chief or, you know, public works. What's that? What do they do? You know, so I think it's important that, you know, you build relationships prior to, um, and I've already said this, but I think it's important that you set the great example. And I can tell you that I have been in, I might make some people a little bit, mad. I was going to say piss them off, but you know, by making this comment, but I always do anyway, about, I've been to conferences where 
you know, we're talking about health and wellness, and one of the biggest killers of firefighters is heart disease, right, and cardiac arrest. And yet here's the fire chief walking around like 100 pounds overweight. And so what kind of example are you setting, you know, for your people? So, you, again, you have to be what you want your people to be. You know, it's right back to being that shining example. I just think it's, you know, so important that we set the example, that we live our lives showing what we need to be and who they need to be, you know. So I think those things are really important. And I think the other thing is uh, community engagement and making sure that you are so engaged in your community that they all know who you are, like smoke alarm installation programs and 10-minute CPR and all those things is preparing our community to do their part, to help you be successful. Because we can't put a firehouse on every corner, but if we can get people to people that hands-only CPR and then get them signed up for pulse point, we're going to reduce the number of maybe cardiac arrests so we can have that return to spontaneous circulation. You know, I know a lot of us are working to capacity, uh, particularly now with COVID and we, as a department, took the lead for setting up two points of distribution test sites. We took the lead for the whole city in regard to COVID, doing the research on types of tests for our employees, types of masks and their efficacy. So all those things are important in, um, in sharing and, and being a part of overall community. I think it's really important that we realize, you know, yes, we're the fire department. Yes, we are important. And yes, we provide the best service in the city, but we're not in there by ourselves. Chief, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story, your thoughts about collaboration and relationship building and setting a shining example of what the fire service can be. Your success is inspirational, and I hope that the advice you've given today benefits the other aspiring leaders in our audience. So thank you so much. I'm honored to have had the opportunity. I really am. And I, I do hope that I can help other people. And, and I always say this, I truly mean it. If you need something, you know, call me. I'm easy to find, you know. <laughs> so uh, please. And I look forward to a non-COVID world where we can be together again at different conferences and meetings. Thank you again so much. And everybody stay safe and be well. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Stay safe out there. And until next time. For more information about our podcast and today's episode, visit our website at keythemike.org. That's key the mic.org.